Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and let's go to Mark chapter number 15, the book of Mark in chapter 15 this morning. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The book of Mark in chapter number 15 this morning for our time together around the word of God. I hope you have your Bible with you. If you do not, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's word. And I would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. And you'll find your place this morning in Mark chapter 15. And of course, we are coming now to the end of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a few chapters from here. And the story of Jesus as recorded in the gospel of Mark will be ended for us. And we find ourselves this morning in just one verse. Mark chapter 15, just one verse. Look with me at verse number 21. Mark chapter 15 and verse number 21. I will remind you where we left Jesus last week. Jesus has been arrested. He's been tried in religious court and been found guilty of blasphemy. He had a bag placed over his head. He was beaten. His beard was pulled. He was mocked. He was spit on. That happened all through the night. And early the next morning, they took him from a religious court and they took him to a political court. They stood him in front of Pilate and they accused Jesus, not just of blasphemy, but this time they accused Jesus of treason. And Pilate didn't find Jesus guilty of this. And yet, Pilate lacked the courage to do what was right and good. He instead gave it over to popular opinion. How many of you know popular opinion is not always right? Just because everybody else is or thinks or does doesn't mean that we should. Popular opinion said, crucify Jesus. And Jesus released, or Pilate rather, released him to them Barabbas. And he sentenced Jesus to be scourged and then crucified. The scourging took place with what we call a cat of nine tails. A long stick, maybe about this long in length, with leather straps, with metal and hooks embedded into the end of it. They scourged Jesus, literally turned him inside out. The point of the scourging was to take someone as close to death as possible without killing them. And that's exactly what they did. But not only did they scourge Jesus, but they mocked Jesus. They insulted him. They took a purple robe and they threw it on him. They took a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They hit him in the head with the reed. They slapped him. They spit on his face. The mockery, the insulting that he endured. They've stood him up from there, and now the Bible teaches us that they're walking him to Golgotha. They're walking him to Calvary's Hill. They're walking him to the place where the cross will be stood upright and Jesus will be nailed to it. And on this road, which is known as the Via Dolorosa, many of you remember when we visited Israel a few years ago as a church, they took us there to the heart of the downtown old Jerusalem area and there's a street there marked as the Via Della Rosa. It's the road that historians and, archite- and, and archaeologists believe that Jesus would have taken in that day right through the middle of the town. They have 14 stations along that road. 
The 14 stations are not scriptural. There's really only two stations. There's only two spots on the road that we really know about. One of them we're about to find out here this morning in chapter 15, in chapter 15 verse 21. But I will remind you what we said last week about all of this. That everything that is happening up to this point is happening according to God's plan. It looks bad. It looks as if the story and the life of Jesus is coming unraveled. But in fact, the plan of God is being woven through all of this. No part of this story is outside the plan of God. You see how comforting and assuring and confidence-giving that is to us as Christians? It's all according to God's plan, and as you'll see here this morning, it's all according to God's purpose. Look at verse 21. Let's just back up. Let's take verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they took, the, they took off the purple from him. They put, on, they put his own clothes on him and then they led him out to be crucified. They took him out of the fort where they would have beaten Jesus in this way and they've paraded him now in public. That's literally the phrase, led him out to crucify. And they compel, verse 21, and they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him, speaking of Jesus, and they bring Jesus unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. Jesus here is carrying the cross beam. If you have in your mind the picture of a cross that stands upright in this direction, counter now the, the beam that would have ran horizontal to the cross. They would have laid this on the back of the one who was found guilty and he was required to carry his cross as a sign of guilt as a signet of the weight of which he broke the law, carrying the weight out into public. It was embarrassment, it was shame, that was the, the whole goal in doing this. The Bible records in the other Gospels that while Jesus is carrying this beam, he fell face down, he collapsed under the weight of the cross. Which causes the Roman soldiers... Verse 21, to compel a man who is a Cyrenian, who's just passing by, who just came up out of the country, to carry, to bear, the verse says, Jesus' cross. So what is God's purpose in sending Jesus to the cross? Of course, it is to change lives. And one of the most magnificent definitions of what it means to be a disciple, Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. 
In other words, if you're really a disciple of Jesus, you will bear the cross. The Simon, the Cyrenian, is the first to do so. It's interesting, isn't it, that a stranger named Simon is pulled out of the crowd in order to help Jesus carry his cross? It wasn't Simon Peter. Simon Peter who had done all the bragging, how he would never forsake Jesus. He would die with Jesus. He'd be there in the end with Jesus. If everyone else ran away, Simon Peter would be the one that stayed. And yet Simon Peter is nowhere to be found. Instead, God chose another Simon. Simon the Cyrenian. The Bible teaches us that this is a man who's simply passing by. Look at the verse. And they compel one Simon a Cyrenian. Notice the word compel. Do you see that word? You have an outline. I think you have a, an outline in your hand. It was in your bulletin. You can follow along with us. Notice they compelled. Simon was compelled by a soldier to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. The word literally means forced. Made him do it. Coerced him into it. it, it it's, it's, the, it's the idea that he is not volunteering to do this, they're, they're grabbing him out of the crowd. They're compelling him to carry the cross beam. And presumably, this is not an act of kindness. This is not the Roman soldiers trying to be compassionate to Jesus. This is the Roman soldiers trying to make sure that Jesus does not die before they get him to the place of crucifixion. Jesus has fallen under the weight of the beam and he cannot make it any longer. So they grab Simon from Cyrenian, the Cyrenian, out of the crowd in order to make him carry the cross. Did they ask him nicely? Of course not. Did they threaten him? Very possibly. Did he have a choice? No. You know, sometimes as it relates to our service for the Lord, we find ourselves in similar situation like Simon, where particular things have happened in our lives that we did not have much of a choice about. Many of you are here this morning, you didn't need to make a choice in order to be here. Your parents forced you to be here. They did not ask nicely. They threatened you, quite possibly, and drug you all the way here this morning. <laughs> we have a testimony right here. Your parents made you. We find ourselves in service to the Lord in this way sometimes, where we, we don't have much of a choice. Maybe you found yourself flat on your back in a hospital room. You didn't have much of a choice. And someone came into your room, they decided they were going to talk to you about Jesus. You didn't have much of a choice. Maybe you were like Simon. 
You felt as if you were drafted into service for the Lord. Maybe you're here because someone pressured you to be here. But maybe that's the best thing in the world for you. Maybe the best thing in the world is your parents made you come to church. Maybe the best thing in the world for you is you found yourself in your life flat on your back with nowhere to look but up. And maybe the best thing for you is that a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker pressured you to be here so you would hear about the amazing love of God for you through Christ. You see, as, as Christians, we are seeing more and more of being compelled to pick up a cross. In our current cultural context, it's as if a soldier is laying a sword on your shoulder, compelling you to identify yourself as a disciple of Jesus and pick up the cross to follow him. And being forced to affirm particular activities that may be unbiblical, forced into service for Christ. You find yourself being compelled to take a stand at your office or in your neighborhood or with your family that perhaps was never, you were never compelled to take before. Simon finds himself compelled into service for the Lord. But what I want you to understand something about Simon is that although he was forced to pick up the cross, he volunteered to never lay the cross down. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you find yourself as if a particular set of events have happened in your life that have not left you with much of a choice. Simon was compelled, but I want you to see something else. Simon was compelled by a soldier, but Simon was chosen by God. Don't read over the verse too quickly. He's compelled. One, Simon a Cyrene. Look at this phrase. Who passed by coming out of the country? So, so think about this for just a moment. If Simon had been on his way out of the country just an hour later, he would have missed this entire ordeal. If Simon had been on his way out of the country just an hour earlier, he would have missed this entire deal. If Simon would have walked a little faster, if he would have walked a little slower, if he would have gone in another gate, if he would have stopped by the AM, PM and hung out and got a slushy just a little bit longer, he would have missed this entire thing. But God had other plans. What seems like a chance encounter is in fact a divine appointment. What for Simon seems like a chance encounter is in fact a divine appointment. It was God's 
purpose for Simon to be in that place at that time to do this thing, carry the cross of Christ. The soldier's choice of Simon may seem random, but in reality, it's anything but random. It is the invisible hand of God at work. I want you to think of this, not just in terms of Simon's life, but I want you to think of this in terms of your own life. Think of the providence of God in putting a Christian at your office. Think of the providence of God of putting a Christian on your street. Think of the providence of God of putting someone on the same course that you were on who shared their faith in Christ with you invited you to a church service where you heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and now the rest of your history is completely different than it was before. It was not just an accident that led Simon to this moment. It was an appointment by God for Simon to be there in this moment. And the same is true for you. It's no accident that you were born in the family you were born into. It's no accident you were born into the city that you were born into. It's no accident that you were born into the time frame, the year, the age in which you were born into. It's no accident that you're sitting here this morning. It's a divine appointment from God. Simon was compelled by a soldier, but Simon was chosen by by God. Have you recognized the ways in your life that God has actively directed you into his will and purpose for you? And aren't you thankful for the ways in which God leads and God guides and God directs in your life? I'm thankful that God is sitting on his throne in heaven, is not disinterested in the way and the path and the routes that we choose in our lives, but that God orchestrates those for our good. All things work together for good. To them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose, can you see the infinite ways that God is at work in your life, directing and leading and guiding you in your life to the very place that God wants you to be? Simon was compelled by a soldier, but Simon was chosen by God. And not only... Does God actively direct us? But think of this. Think of the ways in which God actively redirect us. Think of all the counterfactuals of your life. Think of all the what ifs. What if you had been in that car? What if you'd gotten on that plane? What if you had went to that school? What if you had lived in that city? What if you had chosen to have a relationship with that person? What if? 
There are thousands of ways every day in our life in which God is actively directing us. But there are thousands of ways in which God is actively redirecting our lives. Where his mercy is being poured out over and over in our lives in a thousand ways in which something that could have happened never happened. Evan and I were getting lunch this week. We're driving down the, down the road up, to, up to, the, to, to the restaurant. As we're driving down the road, we're casual conversation. I hear Evan all of a sudden go, oh my goodness, did you see that? I grab the wheels. What happened? He said, that guy was just hit on his bike. Guy was going right down the sidewalk. A person coming right out of the the, the, the grocery store driveway wasn't even looking, just bam, hit the guy. The guy went up onto the hood of the guy's car, then fell over and praised the Lord. He was fine. He was okay. He stood up. I think he was missing a couple teeth. That was about it. Went planted in the hood of the car. I told Evan, I said, man, aren't you thankful for all the times you've been on a bike ride? You've never got hit by a car? Aren't you thankful for all the ways that God redirected your life? You're guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed the rest of the day today. Aren't you thankful for those divine nevers that have happened in your life that you and I are completely unaware of? The way in which God is protecting and watching and guiding all of the what-ifs that could have happened in your life and yet, God is actively at work in directing our lives. And God is actively at work in redirecting our lives. I'm reminded of the story in Exodus where Moses leads the children of Israel out of slavery. And the Bible says that they could have gone the quick route down in order to get across to the Red Sea. But God told Moses, don't go the fast route. Take them the long way around. Because if you take the highway, that's where the Philistines are. And they're people of war and it is not good for my people to see the people of war just yet because there's not enough courage and strength in their heart they'll turn back and they'll go the other way and so God intentionally takes Moses and the children of Israel the long way around in order to get them to where he wants them to be aren't you thankful for the times in your life that God took you the long way around It's not an accident. It's a divine appointment. It's no accident that God put you in the neighborhood he put you in. It's a divine appointment. It's no accident that God put you in the city he put you in. It's a divine appointment. It's no accident that God put you in the office that God put you into. It is a divine appointment. And you and I must realize that although Simon was compelled by the soldier, Simon was chosen by God. Who's to say that he shows up at this exact time? And they compel one, Simon the Cyrenian, notice, compelled by a soldier but chosen by God, who passed by coming out of the country. Imagine Simon would have sat in traffic trying to get up to Jerusalem in order to observe the Passover. And if Simon would have sat in traffic like I sit in traffic, I would have been complaining the whole time. 
And yet, God had a divine purpose in doing so. God had a divine purpose in doing so. Not just in Simon's life. Listen very closely. Not just in Simon's life, but in yours. In yours, in mine. And God is merciful in actively directing and God is merciful and actively redirecting our lives in a thousand ways every day. It's literally innumerable the amount of ways in which God is directing and redirecting. And so many times in our own hearts we fail to slow down and thank God for that. Will you get home this afternoon and thank God for mercy that let you get home this afternoon? There's hundreds of people in our city. There's hundreds of people in our world who won't make it home this afternoon. And yet you and I, we do so, so casually, so nonchalantly, without even stopping and thinking that God was merciful to us in that. As Simon was compelled by a soldier, Simon was chosen by God. You say, well, why then? Why, why, Pastor? Why is God choosing Simon out of the thousands of people that would have flooded Jerusalem that day and out of the thousands of people that would have been standing along the route of the Via Della Rosa? Why Simon? How, how many of you are thankful for this? How many of you are thankful that our God is big enough to handle our question, why? God is not afraid of your question. He's God. I might not know the answer to your question, but God knows. God is not afraid of the question. Well, why Simon? And you're given this little, this little peek into the life of, of Simon and why Simon. Notice, they compel one Simon a Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country. Look at the third one here. The father of Alexander and Rufus. Wait, what? Who? If, if I were to say to you, this man is the father of Elmer Standy, how many of you would think, wow, that's impressive? No? No one? Well, why not? Well, because you have no idea who Elmer Standy is. I just made that name up literally right now. You say, well, for me to find that impressive, I got to know who he is. Who is that guy? But if I said to you, this man is the father of Derek Wilkerson, how many of you would go, oh, okay, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I know Derek. Yeah. That's what's happening here. This man is the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, Rufus, that's just a silly name. Alexander's a good name. You think about all the places in Mark's gospel where he does not give us people's names. What's the name of the man who let Jesus borrow the horse? You don't know. We aren't told. What's the name of the man who let Jesus borrow the garden of Gethsemane? We aren't told. It's owned by a private individual. Someone let them do it. But you don't know his name. That horse was owned by a private individual. You don't, you don't know their name? What's, what's the name of the man who let Jesus use the upper room? 
Remember, Jesus tells the disciples, go to the city, find the man around the corner, ask him if the room is ready. You don't know his name. What's the name of the hundreds of people in Mark's gospel where Jesus healed them from their sicknesses, their death, their blind, their leprosy, their palsy? What's the name of any of those people? We aren't told. And yet we're told about these two boys. They compel one Simon, a Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the city, the father of Alexander and Rufus, who aren't even in the story. Why? Well, well, here you go. Now you're getting to the reason for why God chose Simon to be there that day. Mark is telling us, you may not know who Simon the Cyrenian is, but you do know who Alexander and Rufus is. Here's what's very interesting in Romans chapter 16, when Paul is writing to the church at Rome, he mentions Alexander and Rufus, who are leaders in the church at Rome. So Mark is writing this letter and he's going, you know these guys, you can go ask him about the story. Ask him about the day that their daddy met Jesus. You get to Acts chapter 13, Simon's mentioned on being on Paul's missionary journey. So here is the divine reason why out of all the thousands of people that would have flooded the streets of Jerusalem on that day, Simon, a Cyrenian, was chosen by a soldier, compelled by a soldier to carry Jesus' cross because Simon, the Cyrenian, was known and loved and chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus is at his weakest, he can't even carry the the beam of the cross. Jesus was a strong man. We pointed it out last week. Jesus is not weak. Jesus is strong. He's a carpenter. He walked everywhere he went. He was used to carrying lumber like this. but bleeding profusely, his body laboring to survive. All the fury of hell has been unleashed on Christ. Jesus at his weakest, and yet the grace and the goodness and the mercy and the purpose of Christ is working in a silent way in the life of this man, And his family. Simon came to the city that day to see the Passover lamb. He came to the city that day from the country to observe Passover. Simon, Adrian Rogers said, came to eat the Passover lamb. But Simon came face to face with the Passover lamb. And his life was changed. But Simon's life wasn't just changed. Notice, the father of Alexander and Rufus. You see, the decisions that you make, they don't just affect you. They affect your children. 
The decision you make, it doesn't just affect you, it affects your wife, it affects your husband, it affects your parents, it affects others around you. Nobody makes decisions in isolation. Our decisions have implications. And in fact, as Christians, that's our prayer, is it not? Our prayer, our hope, our trust is that the decisions that we are making today to serve Jesus, to identify with Jesus, to follow Jesus, that our children will make those same decisions. In fact, this is the most important decision you will make. The most important decision that you will make is not who you will marry. That is important, but it's not the most important. The most important decision that you will ever make is who will you worship? Who will you serve? Who will you follow? Who will be your God? Who will you put your trust in? Who will, put, who will you put your faith in? As Simon was compelled by a soldier, Simon was chosen by God. The third thought here, Simon was changed by Jesus. Simon was changed. And when Simon was changed, it changed everything about his life. It changed everything about his life. Now he's going on missionary journeys in the book of Acts. Now he's traveling with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and Silas. Now he's interacting with the church as it's beginning its, its, its new life there in Jerusalem. Now his boys are watching him lead and serve and follow Jesus in this way. So much so that they want to serve and follow Jesus. They become leaders in the church at Rome. So Paul writes to them, hey Alexander, hey Rufus, I met your father. I, I know your story. Jesus changed his life. Jesus changed your life. And Simon was changed. Simon was compelled. Simon was chosen. Simon was changed. Maybe you walked in here this morning thinking, I need that change. I need that kind of change in my marriage. I need that kind of change in my parenting. I need that kind of change in my relationships. I need that kind of change. Listen, friend, Christ specializes in changing lives because Christ changes the heart. You, you walked in here thinking you just need some habits changed. No, 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 it's much more than that. It's not just some habits that you need changed. It's your heart that you need to have changed. And Christ specializes in changing the heart. He does a work where no one else can do a work. He does a work in here. Simon is compelled by a soldier. Simon was chosen by God. Simon was changed by Jesus, the last one. Look at the end of the verse. To bear his cross. Simon carried the cross. Simon was compelled. Simon was chosen. Simon was changed. And Simon carried. So we have to recognize that this is, this is Simon carrying the cross behind Jesus. They would have put Jesus out in front of the group of soldiers who were marching alongside of him. 
Any of those that might have been behind him wailing on his behalf, his family members? Simon was tasked with picking up the crossbeam, laying it on his shoulder and walking in the footsteps behind where Jesus is headed. That Jesus has already explained to his disciples what true discipleship is. Discipleship, the Christian life, look, is about carrying a cross. It's about cross carrying. The disciples of Jesus were not simply individuals who dressed in a particular way. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests that they dressed any different than anyone around them. The disciples of Jesus were not people who were marked by the particular songs that they liked. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests that they sang any other song than what their contemporaries would have sang. The disciples of Jesus were not known because of the books that they carried with them. They don't even have books in the disciples' days. No, the disciples of Jesus were identified as being people of the cross. They understood that the story of Jesus was a story that centered at this pivotal point that Jesus had always been moving toward the cross. Jesus had told them about the cross, that there in the cross, in his death, would be the answer for their sin, would be the atonement of their relationship with God. And in the cross, Jesus would lay down his life and pick it up again, proving himself to be who he said he was. They were identified as people of the cross. If we're going to make an impact in this culture along the lines that Jesus says that we should in the Gospels, then this picture of Simon moving behind Jesus Carrying the cross is a picture that we ought to have in our minds as we anticipate whatever is coming this week. It's very easy in our world to present to, to the culture around us this crossless Christianity. What makes it seem like as Christians, we're always successful. We never have bad days. We have it all together. We know all the answers. We never make any mistakes And that's catastrophic, is it not? Because do you have all the answers? Of course not. Is it always times of success for you and for me? Of course not. Do we have struggles in this life? Yes. Do we have it all together? No. And yet, we gladly, we willingly take up our cross and identify with Jesus Christ. Taking up a cross is not some mystical spiritual language. Taking up the cross is not some kind of unique thing that's only reserved for the super spiritual. Jesus says taking up the cross is reserved for anyone who follows me. Taking up the cross in Jesus' day, had a very flesh and bone reality to it. 
It was being willing to pay the price, whatever the price, to identify with Christ. It's a willingness to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution for the sake of Christ. When the disciples heard the phrase, take up your cross, they would have immediately pictured a poor condemned soul walking along a road headed to his crucifixion, carrying his own tool of crucifixion on his back. Pick up your cross and follow me. Be willing to pay whatever price to identify with Christ. You do know in our culture, in our world, there will be a price to pay to identify with Christ. To reject the philosophies of the world, to reject the ideologies of the world. To say things like Christ says, things like one man, one woman inside of one relationship called marriage is the only way in which to live. You do realize to say something like that comes with a, with a cost in our culture. Pick up your cross. Follow me. I'm willing to pay the price to identify with Christ. Is that true for you? I'm willing to pay whatever price. Well, if you don't use these employee pronouns, well, then you're going to get fired. I'm willing to identify with Christ. Pick up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. It's willing to pay whatever price. What, is, what does carrying my cross mean? It means willing to pay whatever price to identify with Christ. Second, picking up your cross means that you live a life of submission to Christ becomes the pattern of your life. I live in submission to Christ as the pattern of my life. A simple way to say, I'm just going to be obedient to Christ. I'm going to obey Christ. John says that the one, who, the, the one who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk in the same manner in which he walked. Paul calls it in Romans 1 and Romans 16, the obedience of the faith. So anyone who's truly a follower of Jesus, their life will be characterized by obedience to Jesus. By obedience to Christ. What does it mean, pastor, to pick up my cross and follow Jesus? It means at least two things. 
It means one that we're willing to identify with Christ and pay whatever cost comes with that. And it means two, that the pattern of my life will be, I'm just going to obey Christ. I'm going to obey him in the way in which I live.